Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is DJ Hillier, and you are listening to another edition of the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I bring back my friend Jason Lydon. Jason is the founder of CrossFit Milford and Conquer Athlete, which offers online CrossFit programming and coaching. Jason has been in the CrossFit space for over a decade and has found extreme success as an athlete, gym owner, and remote coach. Jason's leadership skills have also helped him establish him as one of the most prolific, consistent, and successful professional coaches in the space every single year. I think in the sports world, we've all heard of the one hit wonder or maybe in the music world too. And Jason is the complete opposite of that. He's proven himself year after year. And as a coach in the industry, those are the people that you want to gravitate yourself towards people that continually show up and are at the top of the game. And that's exactly who Jason is. A couple of the conversations that have been in my inner circle lately is talking about what is a professional coach? What what makes up a professional coach? What does it look like? And kind of hearing other people's opinions about it. And so I thought the perfect person to bring in and talk about that is Jason. And that's what we talked about was first defining what is a professional coach? What makes the word professional so important? What are the qualities that make up a professional coach? After that, we talked about the importance of mentorship, how it's important at any stage of your coaching career to have a mentor. Then we talked about how to gain self-confidence as a coach. Then we talked about understanding the difference between methods and principles and how methods are interchanging, but principles are forever. Then we talked about the importance of keeping things simple as a coach and what it really says about you when you can keep things simple. Then we close down by talking about balancing the unique demands of coaching elite level athletes and also just fitness enthusiasts. Jason has uh, the opportunity to coach some of the best athletes in the world uh, during one hour. And then the next hour, he could be coaching a class full of moms and dads who are just looking to get in their uh, fitness for the day. And I'm just, I was curious to hear about how, as a coach, do you go from one to the next, what things change and what things stay consistent? If you guys are into coaching, you're looking to level up, become more professional, this show is certainly for you. And as always, if you enjoy it, be sure to leave a rating and review because that helps my show grow tremendously. Can't thank you all for all the support and the continued support every single week. The shares on Instagram are so fun to see, and I really appreciate that. So without further ado, let's get to this episode with Mr. Jason Lydon. Let's go. Jason Lydon, welcome back to the MyFit Podcast, man. One of my favorite people, favorite coaches, uh, just a, a great guy all around, man. I'm excited to have you back on today. Our first chat was a lot of fun. We had a lot of really great conversation points for coaches, and we're going to even take it even deeper today. So welcome back to the show. Thanks, bud. Pumped to be here. Excited that I had the opportunity to speak with you again. 
Absolutely, man. Uh, so I kind of got back in touch with you a little bit through your article that came out on CrossFit HQ. And actually, we took that into our, uh, we meet as a staff every other week. And we took that article and kind of went through it as a staff and kind of picked apart some of the things that that we could benefit from as, as a coaching staff at MyFi Fitness. So that was super cool to see, man. And nice. I want to kind of talk about that a little bit in the the, uh, the title of the article is Becoming a Professional Coach. If we want to start first, Jason, what to you, what is a professional coach in the, in our space? That's a great, that's a great question. So what is a professional coach? And I think professionalism is, it's an attitude, you know, it, it's not like um, a title like anything else, it's not something that you could just say, I'm a professional coach. You have to, you have to act like a professional coach, you know, and for that to happen, I think who the person is needs to have their own set of guiding principles about how they feel professionals should act or the organization that they're in should have founding principles around how they feel professionals should act. And then, it's the job of that coach to uphold those principles with the overall mission of themselves and the organization that they're with. And to me, that really makes you a professional because there's so many people out there who can just say, yeah, I'm a professional coach and I do this, or I'm a professional, I'm a doctor. And you assume that they're a professional because of a title, but it doesn't mean they're professional, right? It's a set of, it's how you, act. It's how you hold yourself accountable. It's how you keep score around who you are and, and what you do. So inside of our facility, we have a set of guiding principles that, in my opinion, coaches should be doing to make themselves be professional. And we call that the five-star experience. So number one is it's the best hour of their day. And what that means is if you're a professional, like there's a, there's is a level of compassion and empathy, but if you're a professional, I don't fucking care if you're in a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I don't care what's going on when you're here, you're here to be a professional coach and you have to make it the best hour of their day for the people that come in here. So that's number one. Number two is you have to be a good host. And to me, a professional coach is someone who understands their class, they understand the lay of the land. And what they're essentially doing is making everybody feel comfortable with one another, whether that's introducing the new person to someone who's more experienced, partnering people up based off abilities, but controlling the room, controlling your environment. Number three is a velvet rope experience. So what that means is in my gym, my brick and mortar facility, when people come into my facility, I want them to feel like they're pulling up to a nightclub and the bouncers lifting up the red velvet rope. And then you're kind of walking through it. You know, I want them to feel because what separates gyms isn't the programming. It's the experience of the people. And when people feel connected to an experience and they feel connected to something, that's what draws them in and creates a community. Number, number four is being an ambassador to the brand. And what that means to me is you have to uphold the principles no matter who you are and where you are. Like you're not hooking up with clients 
you're not taking part in gossip. You're not out there like chugging beers with all these people. You're not, wherever you are, you're upholding the brand of, of where you are. And that's always connected and it comes back to you. And if you're a professional coach, you understand that and you're upholding that. And you're in, no matter where you go, whether you're coaching or you're going out to get some food, you're hanging out with people, you understand the principles of the brand that you work for or that you own and you're upholding that everywhere you go. So that's for So we had, we had smile often, best power of the day, velvet rope experience, being a basketball brand. Um, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot the fifth one of my own thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Anyways, but, and then on top of that, there's other levels of professional, right? So, so look, we have those five guiding principles. I know I left out the fifth one. Um, and I apologize for that. It'll come back. Yeah, my brain is all over the place <laughs> as I was kind of talking. But then we have different subsequent principles in there, right? And what does subsequent principles mean? Well, dress dress the part. You know, have good attire on. I don't want baggy pants. I don't want untied shoes. I don't want sloppy hoodies. I don't want it looking like you rolled out of your bed on a Saturday morning and you pulled up to the gym because, hey, I work at a gym and I'm a coach. Well, no. Look professional is part of it too, right? Don't eat. I can't stand when people are walking around chowing down on food because I look at it like this. If I go into a doctor's office or a tax town office and that person comes in and they're chowing down on a sandwich and their excuse is, oh, I just trained so I could eat my sandwich. They'd be like, you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm out. I'm going someplace else. I need full. I don't want you standing on the side talking to your friends because you have a close relationship with them. You know, so there's all these subsequent things to me that define my perception of what a professional is. And that kind of brings you back to your question is what is a professional coach? And I think a professional coach is someone that understands the role they're in. They understand the impact that they have and they have their own guiding principles that define professionalism to that. And they uphold themselves to that. And I say that because my definition of being a professional coach is my own perception of it, right? It's my own ideologies. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. And it doesn't make it any better than yours. But the bottom line is you want to have that and you want to uphold yourself to it. You want to hold yourself accountable to that, right? And that goes with, along the lines with everything, right? I know plenty of people who are like professional coaches and you find out that they're sliding in their clients' DMs with dick pics for the past five years and they're fired, right? It's like, well, are you kidding me? It's like, are you a professional? Or are you just some 21 year old kid out here for a quick bang? Like what the hell is going on? You know? So I know that was a crazy tangent. I apologize for that, but I, I think this is something that kind of gets me it's fired relevant, up, man. Absolutely. It's yeah. Relevant. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then, and the same thing applies for people in the virtual space. Like if you're in the virtual space, you have to have your ideologies of what a professional virtual coach is. And they have to do that and you have to uphold to it. You know? And it's like, you're not sending pictures. You're not sliding the DMs. You're not crossing the line with things you say or how you act. Like you're a professional. What does that mean? And the same thing is true goes for people who podcast, right? Are you just gonna like wing it and jump on and do no prior experience or checkups? Are you gonna take your time to understand who you're talking to? That's relevant and pertinent conversations on the person where they are. And that to me is being professional. Someone that crosses the T's, dots the I's, has their ideologies of how they want to be seen and what they view themselves as a professional. And then they hold themselves accountable for that. Mm. 
That's awesome, man. And you, you kind of touched on the virtual side of things. And so I think a lot of, you know, the five things you named, they, they do bode into the, the realm of virtual. But if you, if you were to dive into that virtual coach who does online coaching specifically, what are three, what do you say, what are three qualities that make a professional online coach? Let me backtrack. Smile often. Smile often. Be a good host. Ambassador to the brand. Velvet Rope Experience. Best hour of their day. There we go. All right. Sorry. <laughs> it was had killing to. me. I was we like, had to cross that I, off. I, I had to. I was like, I can't believe I just like blanked on that. Like, I was like, what in the world? Oh, I'm sorry. Repeat the question. Sorry. Dude. Yeah. So looking more into the online space, somebody who's maybe you don't get to be in person all the time. If we were to just kind of piggyback on what we were talking about, Jason, what are three qualities that make a professional online coach? When you asked that, I actually just wrote a blog on this yesterday and I had five, five points to it. So I'll name three of the points as I think they're kind of relevant. One is track record. And what I mean by track record is I'm not just saying, hey, look at all the big names that they work with because let's face it, lots of these people with these big names, they could do any program and be exactly where they are, right? But more so, how have they been able to get results for people across the board? How have they been able to take people from zero to 10 or from three to six over the years? What's their track record with working with a various level of clientele? How are they able to get results? How are they able to keep clients with them? Do they have a high turnover? Or do clients stay with them for a long amount of time? So all that kind of goes into a track record. And I think when you're a professional coach, you have those two things that go for you. One, you have clients that stay with you for a long time. And number two, you have a good proven track record of getting results for people across the board. And if you are someone that's fortunate enough to work with these high name people, well, then you keep them healthy and you keep them at that high level. Or you're someone who's able to take people and develop them into the athletes that they are now through years of work and focus and dedication to them. Number two is communication, because let's face it, you can be the smartest program in the world, but if you don't understand how to communicate, your coaching is going to suck. Buy-in from clients comes down to the coach being able to communicate the process to the athlete and the athlete being able to understand and see the forest through the trees. That's how you create and, and develop buy-in with inside people that you're working with. And that comes down to the person or the coach being able to communicate. Now, being an online coach, that's one of the hardest things to do because you don't see the person. You, don't, you can't pick up on any changes with inside their nuances or personality altercations. Or you can't kind of see their eyes and, and, and sense their energy when they're walking around you. So you have to even have a, a closer process to communicate to that person, but also be able to develop trust where they trust you enough to tell you if they're feeling off, if they feel like things need to change, or if they feel like something is not there and clicking for them. So that's the second one. And then the third concept of being a professional online coach, I would have to say, comes down to, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth in my head between two of them. And I think I'll just say, follow through and I say follow through because I hear a lot of these programs where coaches will like start off with like great communication and active activity with the person and then it's like the client's like oh well I hear from my coach like every two or three weeks you know or it's like I don't know I'll post something and I barely get feedback on it until well 
that's not being a coach. You're just trying to collect their money and you're, you're probably making a, a copy and paste style program for them just because you're trying to pump out as many people as you can, right? So have not follow through to continually do and say what you're going to do and what you committed to with that person when they took you on as a coach. I think those are the three things, right? And then a fourth kind of subsequent category is just a person's ability to continually educate themselves, stay relevant, stay up to speed in what they're doing, but also recognize what they don't know what they can improve on and how they can, can they can work to improve on that. That's a great. That's great stuff, man. I, it's uh, coincidentally you wrote that blog post yesterday. That's funny. I didn't know that. So that that lined up really well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it did. I, I'm curious, Jason. At one point in your career, did you start to consider yourself a professional coach? Was there a tipping point? Was there a moment? Was there a pivotal part in your life where you decided? If it goes back to you said it goes back to attitude. Is there a part in your life when you're like, "Yep, I'm a professional coach now"? I think the act of being a professional has been an ongoing process for me over the years where I've continually reevaluated what that means. But I, I know the deciding factor for me of when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm a coach, you know, for a while myself, when I came into the sport, I was, I was a competitor. I went to gym, but I was still competing and I was at the games the last year in at the ranch, I was at the games the first two years in Carson. So I was competing and I was trying to be at that level. But at the same point, I still had athletes. So I was trying to coach them as well. It was getting really hard to do both. One would always suffer. And typically it was my athletes I would suffer because if you come from a, a sporting background, you understand that to be your best in any sport or endeavor, you there has to be a level of selfishness in there. There has to be. You have to be selfish with your sleep, with your time, with your training, with where you exert your energy and how you exert it. And I remember there was one point where I was doing a 1K row time trial. And I had to do a 1K row in two minutes and 53 seconds. So that was my goal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was, I had like, 200 meters left and it was fucking hurt i was hurt i was hurt but i was still on pace and i just stopped and like that was the first time that i ever no matter what i did throughout my entire life stopped and i knew like okay like there's typically like what 70 seconds left 75 seconds left when i just couldn't hang on for that i say 75 so i meant like 45 seconds left 200 meters and um I took a breath and I let it settle in for a second. And then I realized that it just wasn't there anymore. Like my ability to go to that place that I kind of valued myself to be able to do and achieve just wasn't there. So that was like the deciding, the defining moment for me where I was like, okay, I'm going to fully just put myself into now just being a coach and not trying to compete anymore. So that's what made me go into that first stage of, okay, now I'm a, I'm a coach and I have to really focus on my stages of being a coach. And at that stage, I didn't know what that stage was, but as I look back, that stage for me was almost like the, um, the gatherer. Like I was just, I, at that point, I just needed to gather all the possible information I, I could from anybody and everybody out there. And I always kind of went about it 
in the same way, not really knowing what I was doing, but I always kind of looked at myself as a coach and I would try to see where my holes are and what I feel like I need to focus on more. And that's what I would dive into for that year, those two years or for those six months. And that's kind of like what I started doing back then because I always wanted to be the smartest, in my opinion, the smartest person out there. I wanted to, to know as much as I possibly could about everything. And, and looking back at it, it's like, all right, that's just be, like being a gatherer. You know, you're just trying to continually fill up your tool belt and get as many tools as you can around it. And then my second stage from there was like the technician, where now I'm trying to, to or the, the craftsman, where I'm trying to take all these different tools and have a good understanding of how they fit into what I'm doing. And at that stage, I'm, you're still developing because I didn't truly understand the sound principles of, of strength and conditioning. To me, it was just like, all right, I want to learn this method and that method and how do I do this? And, and all about kind of like the hows versus the whys, which brings you to that final stage when you finally understand, well, well, why? Like, I'm kind of like a roadblock. How do I continue to develop this? And how can I refine what I'm doing and niche it even more to make it even more beneficial for the people I work with? And that kind of brings you into that end stage of being sort of like that craftsman and that developer where you're trying to take yourself into like that mastery level and who's to say anybody's a master. I don't know. People sometimes call themselves masters or people think like they deserve it or they earned it over time. My point is you get to this point where you hone in on, on what you know and you hone in on kind of what you don't know. And at that point, like, okay, this is where I excel. This is my expertise. This is where I can develop. Here's some other things that I continue to learn to improve this. And here's where I know I don't really know that well, but you know, fuck it. Like, I don't really want to dive into that. And now I'm going to surround myself with other people to help with that, to really kind of sharpen that spear even more. Right. And that's sort of like when you get, when you kind of get into those last stages, which go for a lifetime of now you're just kind of like sharpening that sword even more with either people around you or that information that you currently have and know, and then how you can continually improve upon that. So Circling back to your original question of when did I first become a professional coach, I think it's sort of been over the past 12 years of just knowing that this is who I am and, and this is where I am and how do I continually step forward and, and keep stepping forward with inside this, this realm or this space. And when you think about it that way, that continually leads you down paths of professionalism or quote unquote mastery or development. Mm -hmm. One of the things I pulled out, Jason was early. You said you felt like you became a professional coach when you were able to go all in and you didn't have the athletic side of things. So would you say that also for other people that are looking at be a professional coach, one of the big principles needs to be being all in. Yeah, you know, absolutely. No matter what you're doing, you have to be, you have to be all in. And what does all in look like? I don't know. You know, I just know that like from a coach, that's something that I always saw myself. It's something I always valued myself as. It's what I went to school for. I took courses in college on just coaching courses. Um, not really knowing why. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a coach. But I was like, oh, I want to learn how to lead people better. So it's something that I was always around and involved in. And you know, it's like anything, right? It's like if you're married, if you have kids, if you want to be 
the best father or the best husband or both. And you have to be all in. What does that mean? It's like, well, I mean, something different for every person, but it's, it's understanding that you have to be all in no matter what that is. Like I could say, well, my all in is for being a husband and that could be different than how some of us views it. But the bottom line is my all in is all in, in a way that it makes my wife feel appreciated and valued and, and understood and that I'm there for. And for my kids, my all in for my kids is that they know that I'm always there for them and I put them first and I always want to support them and grow with them and, and teach them. And what is all in for being a coach? Well, I don't know. That's, what you have to decide if you're a coach out there listening is like, what is all in? But yeah, you can't have like one foot in one foot out because that's the case. You're never going to reach your potential in anything you do. Right. And it's like, and then it's a juggling game. Right. So it's like, if I I own a gym, I own an online platform, I coach, I'm a father, I have kids, I coach my kids sports. So it's like, how do you juggle it all and make sure that, you have that counterbalance of, of different focal points to make sure you're, you're kind of filling those cups as best you can. And I think that is the most challenging thing is getting an understanding of that. And like, do I do too much? Probably. I don't know. Well, could I be completely better at something if that's the only thing I did? Maybe. But I also understand that my personality is in one in which I can only do one thing at this point in my life. Like I'm sure in a couple of years from now, it might be completely different, right? And I might only be doing just one thing and I might be way more successful in a whole different spot. But I just don't think I'm there right now. But yeah, all in to round out your question. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I think that's a key component because I think what some coaches might do is they, you know, it might be a part-time job. It might be a hobby and they're kind of, they could struggle with the idea of like, I don't think I'm a professional. People don't see me as a professional. It's like, well, why should they? You're, you know, this is a part-time gig. This is a hobby for you. So to me, I see it like if you want to dive in, you got to get the reps, you got to put in the time if you want to start to become a professional. And I think that goes back to being all in. And I know that'll look different from person to person for sure in their scenarios, but I don't think you can expect to be a professional or be viewed as a professional by doing four hours a week. Yeah. And, and you know, with our profession, I know that can be that can be tough, right? Because if you look at the gross income of coaches and full-time coaches, or for that matter, like CrossFit coaches, there can be some fear around being all in, you know? So I think people have to understand, like, all right, well, if I do go all in, what is my game plan to make it a living to continually prove upon it? And it's not, if you're working in a CrossFit gym, it's not coaching CrossFit classes. You can't coach 40 classes a week. You can't, you're going to die. Right. But it's like, how can you continually do things to make money and be a professional, make it a career, make it a lucrative career and be successful with it. And you have to look at it like anything else. You have to create your game plan. You have to strategize. You have to understand how you're going to do that. And then you have to put in the time to do it. You know, it's like, I have a coach here with me who the kid has a, um, a doctor in physical therapy and he was a trainer in New York city making like six figures. He moved back to Connecticut and he wanted to work here. And he came in not asking for anything. He came in saying, Hey, can I just hang around and just kind of clean up and I'll sweep the floors and you don't have to pay me anything. Wow. And he's put in like, like 30 to 40 hours a week of just sitting around the gym, not bugging me with questions, just kind of watching, observing, cleaning. Um, and then from there, like I saw that. So I started working with him, developing more. I told him what his game plan needed to be if he wanted to make 
money and be successful in here, right? And now the kid's making close to six figures a year, 25 years old, because he coaches classes, he grew his PT base to where he has, um, you know, 20 to 25 personal training sessions every two weeks. Mm. He's doing program design. So he's a professional coach and he holds himself that way. So yeah, you have to know the, you have to go all in, but you have to go all in with a plan. Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, all right, I'm all in. And then, you know, show up at a the gym and be like, okay, what do I do? You know, okay, I'm going to coach these four classes because that's all you have open. Well, you won't make a living. So how can you be all in and what's your game plan to be successful and make a living? And you have to understand that too. Cool. So I've been following you and listening to pretty much almost every one of your podcast episodes on the Conquer Athlete Podcast. And one thing I've gathered along the years now that it's been is that one thing you say a lot is, yeah, I've done a lot of mentorship work with, or you've said, yeah, I'm buddies with, and it seems like you're really well connected in the space. You're a very likable person. But the thing that keeps popping up is even though you're um, in your forties, you're still doing mentorship work with people. And I think this is so powerful, Jason. I'm just curious to hear how, why do you believe mentorship is so important? And then if we can kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit more about maybe how can these younger coaches who want to be these professional coaches, how can they find mentors? And, and what does kind of that mentor life uh, kind of look like when you're, when you're trying to pursue that? Mm. Something I always valued was education. I always did well in school. I always knew that if I wanted to continually go places, I had to be educated and I had to, to know what I was doing. And once I kind of like staked my claim inside the coaching world, like, all right, this is where I am. This is where I'm going to stay. I want to learn as much as I possibly could about that. And I think the idea of, not the idea, but my path for mentorship of having mentors, I think I was in a better position than a lot of newer coaches when I was coming up. Because if I'm, I'm 42, right? So when I was like 24, 25 years old, the informational information age wasn't out there. You know, I couldn't open up my computer and download someone's newest course, right? And kind of study from home. When I was younger, if you wanted to learn something, you had to find a way to go hang out with them and learn from them. You had to put in the time and the sweat of just being around and watching and observing. So when I first came into this space, I was first engulfed inside. I first started in the strength conditioning world and I was going to go to Ohio State to be a strength coach with inside the programs and bounce around that scene. But I didn't take that path. So that's where I first came from. And when I opened my gym, my gym was very based around that. And then as I got entrenched into CrossFit, they had all these SMEs at that point who to me were like, you know, I would spend hours on the CrossFit website and watching the old school videos and watching Bergner and all these guys kind of coaching talks. I was like, well, fuck it. They want to run a seminar. I'm going to hold every single seminar I can at my gym. And back then, the seminars was a much different scene, you know? So like Wellborn came out and Bergner came out twice and Mackenzie was here and I was working with Mackenzie for a while and I did, I held the CrossFit Level 1 seminars here and I'd have all these people come through and as they came through, it was like they'd come in, like Mark Ripito was here. We'd go out to eat Friday night. We'd do the seminar. We'd go out to eat Saturday night. And you start talking and talking. I'd be asking lots of questions. And then I understood that if I wanted to continue to learn from them, I had to talk to them. And I offered 
whether it's payment or time, but I offered something to have them teach me. And last time, like, I will pay you for your time. Like, I don't expect any of this for free. And I think one of the biggest things that people get confused upon in nowadays is like, they think like, oh, like I'm just going to hang out and ask this person a question for 30 or 40 minutes. And cool, they should be able to give me their time. It's like, no, why the fuck should they give you their time and their knowledge? Most of the time they will do it for free, which is crazy, but at least offer something up. And then when you have a mentor, shut the fuck up. You know, and it's like, like I'll have, I'll have a mentor and they're talking to me about like conditioning and I won't say a fucking word about what I know. Cause who cares what I know? Like I'm, I'm there to learn what they know. They don't want to know what I know. It's like, if they ask, I'll tell them kind of like what my experience is or what I've done in the past, but they might. And, and I treat that from like, uh, even like martial arts, like jujitsu, right? Like I'm a purple in jujitsu. I might take a white belt course and all of a sudden I'll see something. Holy fuck. I never knew anything about that. Of the simple sweep that I've been doing for the past 12 years. Right. Because someone can explain it in a way. And all of a sudden, because you know, this other stuff like, Oh wow. Like that, concept kind of eluded me for so long it's right there just based off the way they say it so just to backtrack so all these people would come through into my facility and i would just start talking to all of them you know and i'd and and at that point there was like this such underground movement of fitness with inside the sport of crossfit that all these amazing minds and professionals were just like craving to get their information out there because it wasn't out there. There was no dawn of the information leads, right? So like Rob Wolf, like we would just bullshit. I would be emailing Rob and James Fitzgerald when he still lived in Calgary. And I would, and I didn't have kids back then. I was still young. So I would load up my fucking credit cards and fly out there and just hang out. And I'd hang out with Rob or James or I'd go to Bergener's house and just watch him coach Olympic lifting for the entire weekend to people that come through his garage. Right. Or I'd have people come up and it was this crazy time. And that's kind of like what sparked the whole mentoring thing for me is like my craving for knowledge. And then my um, appreciation for what other people would, would give me pretty much their information. Right. And, and that, and then from there I took that into other areas like, all right, well, what else do you need to know about? And, then I'd reach out to like the Eric Cressys of the world and the Dan Johns um, and the Brett Bartholomews and all these people who were these amazing minds that were outside of the CrossFit space, right? And it's traditional strength and conditioning and like the people with inside the Exos. I remember one time, like my buddy uh, was like, hey, there's this spot in Arizona. And they're like, this is how quickly like information can spread. Cause this was probably like seven years ago. And he was like, um, He's like, it's this gym called like Exos. We should totally go out there and just listen to these dudes talk. They have some pretty cool people there. And you wouldn't find anything on the internet. And lo and behold, it was like, oh yeah, Exos. It's fucking all over the spot, right? It's like, that's how quickly like shit can change. But that's what it was back then. And we just go wherever we could and we just listen and learn and then offer uh, our services or payment to continually learn from them. And we keep circling back. And that's kind of like how it's been. So that was like this habit that was created with inside of me. And, and then every year I just maintain it, you know, and I go about it where at the beginning of the year, I kind of think about what are like some avenues that I feel like I need to learn more about. And then that's, and I go, right, well, who, who do I think is really good at this? And I'll just hit up different people. And this year for me, it was a lot about breath work. I, I 
did Wim Hof, but I wanted to dive more into the breath work, like the why's and why nots, not just like the superficial kind of stuff you learn in the seminar. I'm not saying that it's not ben- beneficial, but there's way more to dive into around that realm. And that was one. And the other one was still communication. I wanted to continually dive into more of how to communicate more effectively. And that's what I do. And then from my own mentoring to people, it kind of just stemmed from that where I think over the years of getting results and, and being in the space and putting in the years, I started, I was thinking how I could continually run more effective mentorships for people, you know, whether that was in a one-on-one setting or instead of a group setting. So that's kind of like what I've continued to do. Yeah, that's cool, man. You and I are so alike in this aspect. And I think a lot of it I learned probably from my dad because he's a lot of the same way where it was like before internet days. And so he'd be like, you know, just going in and, and Tony Robbins was somebody that he would just watch and he, he's a motivational speaker. So he just kind of immersed himself in these in these positions. And I think some of the key things I want to pull out from what you said and just reiterate is, you know, offering payment for their time. And then also, I think the biggest one is shut the fuck up and listen and just you yeah. don't have to insert anything and then, and then ask the right questions when you need to. And I know nowadays it'd be easy to go on YouTube and it'd be easy to do the online stuff, especially during COVID. But I would honestly suggest, I think the better idea is to do what you did, Jason, when you were 20 and 24, 25, be in person, just go watch somebody. And more times than not, and I've figured this out by being a podcast host, more times than not, you're going to get a, yeah, come on by and come hang out. Yeah. Come interview me. It's all good. Like, uh, people are more willing than you think they are. And I think there's just more value in seeing them in person and just sitting down, watching with a clipboard and taking notes. I think sometimes that can be even better than taking their online course. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's almost like, and people have done that here and they've come by the gym. And I think when you do that, the most beneficial thing you can do is, Go there and just don't say a fucking word because if a coach is busy, like they don't really want to have to explain to you why they're doing this move and why they made this change while they're doing it. Like sit in the corner, don't, don't fucking breathe on their shoulder, take notes and then be like, Hey, just let me know when's a good time that I can ask you some questions based on things they said, just have a good understanding. And the dude might be like, cool, ask him whenever. Or he might be like, all right, how about at two to three o'clock? We'll do, we'll kind of sit down and chat. But the more you communicate with the person and the more you, work around their schedule and what benefits them, the more likely people are just going to allow you to come and hang out, you know, for like a couple of days or a week. Like I know I've had some friends when Westside was just coming out, not coming out, but inside the sport of CrossFit coming out, they would hit up Louie and Louie would be like, yeah, come on out. They'd sit there for a week and just watch those guys train, you know, and, and they would learn everything they possibly could and with inside that week. And coaches in our, in our space, People will allow that. People will understand that because we were all there. We've all had to learn. And the way you learn is by observing others and taking in what they've done and what the people before you've done. But I do think there's some sort of etiquette with that that people need to adhere to. It's like, you know, don't be a backpack on them and and shut the fuck up and just let them do their thing and then ask questions when the time is right for you to ask questions. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I think everybody, every coach, no matter what age or how seasoned you are, can probably benefit from stepping outside your gym and going to seeing what's going on in somebody else's gym, especially somebody that that you look up to. I think the the um, the values or the you know it goes it goes both ways. It helps them. It also helps you. So I think that's awesome, man. So, something else you talked about was you being a mentor, and I'm curious now as you've you've kind of aged into your career now that the roles are switching a little bit as you're mentoring younger coaches. What's probably, if we could pick one thing, what's one topic that you're 
addressing most commonly with some of your mentees and how are you overcoming some of it? Is there something specific that you're finding like people are struggling with? Um, I, I try to always start with an understanding of the principles. I think it's very easy to understand methods. Methods are what sell, like the 531 method or this newest kipping ring muscle up method. How to get, you know, five more handstand push-ups in 20 days. Like those are all methods, right? And lots of myself revolves around the principles of training. Like what are the principles that you need to adhere to? Because if you only understand methods and you're tied to that method. So if you reach plateaus, if you don't understand why something's not happening, you have a very hard time adjusting or doing what you should be doing because you're only going to see in that method for, for what that is. Whereas if you understand principles of strength and principles of conditioning, then you can apply various different methods based around what's going to be right around that principle for who that person is, you know? So lots of my stuff revolves around just understanding principles, you know? So if it's, if it's mentoring around strength, like what are the principles of strength? If it's around conditioning, what are the principles of conditioning? If it's around CrossFit and, and how to apply it out, what are the principles of CrossFit, of a CrossFit program? And make sure everything flows correctly. You're not overloading stuff. And if it's the principles of whatever, leadership, or everything has principles. And the most important thing I try to do is establish kind of what they're trying to learn and then what are the principles for that. And then from there, we can get into different methods. And Prince, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard one time somebody say, basically, like, principles are forever and methods come and go. Is that something that you agree with? 100%. Because you can take, you know, like, like Chad Wesley Smith and the Boys of Juggernaut have an amazing book on the principles of strength, which I recite all the time. And you can take those same principles and apply that same, those same principles to conditioning. Like, the principles are across the board. And they last because they're proven and it's what works, you know, methods. Yeah. Methods come and go. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the coach that has trouble or is trying to gain more self-confidence. They're struggling with, with self-confidence. They come to you, Jason, what are some things maybe we could talk about principles and, and what, what does your process look like to help them become more confident kind of in their coaching game? Hmm. think it's understanding why they're not confident and I think that can dive into more inner child work where if you're not confident in what you're doing why are you not confident and what I try to do is I believe that most of the time that stuff comes around stories that you're telling yourself so you're telling yourself this story in your head that you're not good or what you're doing isn't working or people don't believe in you or people aren't going to have trust in you and for that you're kind of like losing your confidence so i think it goes beyond mantras and it goes beyond journaling it goes into more like well why do you think that like why do you have this assumption that that's what people are thinking so right there that person's telling himself a story and it's creating a blockage for this side themselves to, to truly be free and, and develop of who they are but where does that come from and lots of times DJ, people tell themselves these stories based off their childhood, based off things they've been taught, based off things that were said to them as a child. And that is across the board. Whether I'm talking with athletes or coaches, people get so, don't understand the impact of words 
or instances that have occurred to them throughout their lives and how that portrays their own dialogue and what they're saying to themselves now. And many athletes get blocked because of just that. And sometimes it goes beyond the mental resilience and mental toughness it goes first into understanding well, what are their blockages and why they have that. And for coaches, if they're telling themselves these stories that, that lead them to think that they're not confident in who they are as a coach, well, why? Like, what are you telling yourself or what's been told to you? So you, they really have to strip, like peel those onions away to understand where that's coming from and then work on getting them out there out and letting it like pass through the system. Like for me, I had this huge uh, blockage and confidence issue around my bank account. Like my relationship with money, my relationship with how I viewed money, my relationship with my, my bank account would fuck me up. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was something that would drive me crazy. I said, well, where'd that come from? You know, and no matter what I told myself, no matter how much I had in the bank account, I still had those same negative emotions around that that would then affect my relationship with my wife, my kids, how my attitude was in the gym. So I had to do a lot of work of understanding like where that came from and why that was there and then how I can continually work through that, you know? And it's not something that's going to happen in the instance, but to circle back to your question of coaches who, who do have this lack of confidence, it's understanding or getting a better understanding of where, why you're telling yourself that story and trying to strip that down to its roots. Mm -hmm. What about the comparison game? I think about that too. I, I think it's very, very rele relevant with athletes. We've probably both seen athletes that struggle with comparison to other athletes, especially with Instagram and, and things like that. What about coaches? Maybe they're struggling. I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe they're thinking their, their self-confidence is going down because they're comparing themselves to the other coach that's in the gym with them instead of maybe focusing on their craft. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Totally. You know, even... Even online coaches, podcasters, whatever, right? You can be looking at other people because everyone's only going to post or show all the good, you know? And in this day and age, we're flooded with pictures on Instagram and Facebook and everything looks great and dandy and amazing. And you might be like, what the fuck is that happening for me? Or why can't I do that? Or how does that happen? So, yeah, no matter what fields you're in, when you play that comparison game, that's a slippery slope because mm -hmm. that's the robber of joy, right? Comparison. And, and that's it. and people got to just i think understand like what leads them to feel more fulfilled you know and then follow that fulfillment based off their guiding principles and not worry about what other people are doing mm -hmm. as best they thing, can another thing i would yeah. add too is that competence leads to confidence and so maybe we need to go back to what are you struggling with specifically in your coaching game? And you talked about this, like, let's break it down exactly. Like when you look at your yearly plan, like what do you need to work on specifically? So if we need to gain confidence, maybe we need to step back and work on your competence in your program design or in your communication. Like what is it exactly that we can work on in your craft to then lead you to be more confident on the floor? Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that could probably even be a, <laughs> a faster, better answer than the chance that went down, right? Of just understanding why you're, where you're lacking and improving that. Totally. Right. Cool. Another thing you talked about in uh, that article was the importance of keeping it simple. And I think this is something that like, yeah, I get it, Jason, like keep it simple, I can do it. But why is this so important for the advanced coach? And, and why was it important to put in that article? And then also on top of that, um, how would that look in a in a coaching setting? Like, what do you mean? Like, what would it actually look like to keep things simple versus uh, being eradicated about it? Mm -hmm. 
So I think I, I just asked like, nine questions. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Let's start um, with why, why is it why yeah. is it so important, no, I, Jason, to keep it simple? Let's start there. You know, the, the, no matter what you're talking about, the simpler you, you keep it, assuming it assumes that the more you understand it and know it. Now, granted, some people might just keep it simple because they don't understand it, but I feel like you can kind of tell that people don't know it. So I think for the gist of what I'm talking about, let's be under the assumption that we're talking about people that know a good amount of information, what they're doing, you know, it's not just kind of like some brand new beat. And for that being said, I always feel like if you have to overcomplicate it or try to make it seem complicated or use words that are like, or like kind of over talk on shit, then you don't really understand what you're doing, you know? And if you're talking super fast, if you're not really pausing with inside what you're saying, you don't really understand it. And I think the words and the overcomplication of stuff is just there to cover that up, right? To me, like, wow, look at all these rep schemes and time differences and tempos and formats and interval sessions. And it's like, who gives a fuck? It's all the same thing, right? So from a programming perspective, what do I need to do to elicit the right response? You create the right stimulus to get the response I need to get. Cool. That's what you do, you know, from a bodybuilding perspective. I think people get too fucking complicated with that as well. Like, like how, what are the angles of the muscle insertion points from its origin? How do I best train that muscle to create size with proper loading of tension? Cool. That's what you do. And it's not like 800 million different variations of things. It's pretty boring and fucking redundant. You know, it's just putting in the work. And when you're a coach and you're coaching on the floor, it's not breaking down the squat into 37 different components of the snatch into like 800 different setup positions. It's like, okay, what's the easiest thing that I can say to make this person move a little bit better or be a little bit more effective in what they're doing or safer. Right. And that's, that's it. That's all you do. And what you, I've realized over the years, cause and listen, like I was at that point, like I was at the point where if I'm coaching a snatch in my, to people, like I'm saying 800 different things and variations and pretty soon they're looking at me like, what are you even talking about? Right. And as I started observing coaches who I always felt were master coaches or master programmers, I realized that I would first look at it like, oh, that's so basic and, and simple. Well, yeah, on purpose, because that's creating the right stimulus that they're trying to do, you know, or that's making the person move a little bit safer or a little bit better, or just making them just feel a little bit better about themselves so they can take that next step forward. And I was like, wow, like that is how you become a professional master coach is doing the least amount of work to create the stimulus you need to create to get them to move that needle one step closer to where you want them to move it, you know? And it's not trying to create everything all at once. So no, some of you move the needle a little bit more, make it a little bit more better, make them better, a little bit more safer, a little more effective. What I'm trying to do, cool, that's a success. And they will move it a little bit more the next day. And when you're able to keep things simple, it's you truly understand what you're saying and doing. And then you can just say the, the one thing you need to say to get the person to do what you need them to do. And then that's a, that's a success. So that's kind of like what I'm referring to, you know, and when you're writing a program for somebody, you got to write a program in a way that's going to be the 
be effective for them is going to get them one step closer where they want to be without overcomplicating things and they keep keep the body and the system moving the way you want it to in the proper direction and when you're coaching a class it's the same thing it's like how can i keep the class moving keep everybody safe but effectively getting everybody one step closer to to where i want them to be or where they want to be right just don't overcomplicate shit you know the same thing with, with everything we do in life just don't overcomplicate it yeah yeah uh, this was me yesterday. We were coaching power snatches. Jason had a class of 16 people. So there's a lot going on. It's a complicated movement. I found myself basically just giving everybody three cues. It was keep the bar close in the beginning because people want to pull it and it's like four inches from them. And then um, we talked about just keeping it close through the hips. And then as if I'm pulling the, you know, the cookie out of the cookie jar, I want to snap the wrist at the top. It should be a fast movement. I just said, Here's, those are your three things, right? A lot of people spend, or some people spend their entire life trying to get better at the snatch, going to the Olympics. You talk about people at a high level, but right now we're just going to literally focus on these three things. And it was cool to see, it was cool to see how that connected with people and it wasn't super intricate. And I also didn't get questions like, you know, how is my hip extension here? It was just like, did I do the three things that I gave you? And I think sometimes at we at fault do we give more cues on the more complex things because we feel like those kind of go together where in reality, it's kind of the opposite. I think the more complex it is probably the less amount of cueing that we probably should be able to uh, give. And, and thus uh, the more simple it's going to be in return. I was then like, sometimes if I'm coaching a class, I'll, I'll like kind of scan my class and, you know, you can look at a class, right. And see if there's 16 people in that class, like all these different levels, and let's say we're doing a hang power clean. I'm going to say, all right, everyone do a hang power clean. Like, I won't even say a word. And then, you know, if the people are kind of staring at me like, like I'm an alien, like, all right, they have no fucking idea what I'm talking about. What am I going to do for them? Maybe we're going to do RDLs. And I'll show them in a second, right? Or I kind of look at this person, like, they might have a perfect form. Cool. I'm not going to say a fucking word to them, right? And then from there, I might just kind of scan the room and pick out one thing for each person that I want them to work out. And I might just say, you know, don't let your toes rock or when you bend over, keep your knees back a little bit farther, keep the bar tighter. One person who might be super detailed with it because they've been here for 15 years, I might say, all right, elbows back, engage your lats. And I want you to keep your eyes up, whatever it might be. Right. And, but yeah, that's the thing is like minimal cueing for what's going to be effective for who the person is, right? Keep it simple. And a lot of people have a lot of success. Last thing I want to talk about, I know we're getting close on time, but I think this is a super interesting topic and maybe just scratching my own itch because I'm kind of in that same boat as well. But from what I'm gathering about you, Jason, is you're at a gym that you coach classes where you have moms and dads who are 50, 60 years old. Then you also coach some of the fittest athletes in the world. And when we talk about, I really like this idea of principles and methods. If you look at coaching both of those opposite types of people, what are some principles that stay the same? And also maybe how do you, how do you do so well in a balancing act knowing in one, in one area you're focusing on somebody who this is their life in another area, Jason, these people are just coming in to sweat and hang out and maybe get a high five here and there as a coach, the best coaches I think are able to do both. Can you just talk to a little bit about how you've been able to have success with both sides of the spectrum? Mm. I think part of it is, is I've been on both sides of the spectrum. So I understand what it's like to be an athlete. Um, and I understand what it's like where you're just trying to look good and, and feel good, you know? So being on both sides of the spectrum allows me to have empathy for both sides of the spectrum, you know? And then another big thing is the work that I've done on understanding how to 
properly communicate. And that ties back to not me, but what I've been taught. In my first year and a half at Springfield College, which is a, one of the best educational schools in the world for like teachers, we would do classes. There were classes specifically on classroom management, specifically on communicating to different people on making sure people aren't at risk for injury. And you'd get, you'd fail if you did bad at that, you know? So like they went about it. Like if you're going to be a, a phys ed teacher, you have to understand how to manage a classroom just as much. You have to understand, you know, these concepts on, on health and movement or else you fail, right? Cause that means just as much as this, that's kind of like where it started for me, which I think gave me a huge leg up on just overall classroom management with people you know, and the principles don't change. That's what's so impactful about principles. You know, if you look at it, like, you know, your principles of movement selection, of genetic differences, of um, intensity and volume, like once you understand those principles, all you do is you plug the methods in based off who you're working with, based off where they are. You know, so going from, from people who are competing for the games or my MMA fighters, the principles to the principles, what I change are the methods based off who they are and what we're trying to do and what we need to do to get where they need to go, you know? And for some people, if I had to be more of a dick with my athletes, I'd be more of a dick with them. You know, if I had to be more compassionate, I will. And then transitioning into a classroom setting, I look at, I just, I kind of like flip my switch a little bit more. It's like, all right, well, when I'm coaching a class, I look at like an educational party. You know, when they come in, I want them to learn something. I want them to, to feel good, but I want them to look good but I want everybody to have a good fucking time, you know? Like so it's like, just kind of like being more loose and relaxed and getting them to kind of like enjoy where they are and what they're doing. Keeping the principle still the same, like genetical differences. If we're going overhead and the person can't go overhead, well, what's a, the next principle of movement selection to make them effective for developing that sort of strength, you know, and we make the adjustments. And so to kind of circle back to your question of how am I able to go from coaching high level athletes to normal class goers, it comes down to um, having that sound understanding of the principles, but I think it's also of just kind of like flipping the, my mindset of the setting that I'm in and the environment that I'm in with it, you know? And if I feel like my mindset isn't really switching, knowing that and kind of being able to take a step back. And I think that's, that's kind of like a, a BS answer, but it's like, if I'm coaching high level athletes, I got to understand like, well, some of them, I don't say anything, you know, if we're at specific stages, I'm staying in the corner, just observing how they react. And I give them feedback at the end because when they're out there ready to compete, I'm not on the floor. Then they can't even see me in the stands or hear anything I'm saying. They can't be dependent upon me. And if I go into a classroom setting, well, they're dependent on me. They don't know what they're doing. Their job is for me to educate them and, and create the environment for them. So, I, so then I'm more engaged, you know, more hands-on and talking. It's kind of like having that good understanding of, of reading the people, reading the environment, and then adjusting and adapting for that mm -hmm. over the yeah. years. Yeah. And that, can, and that can be tough, I think, too. I mean, if you, it, literally, if you're training a games athlete at 10 a.m. and then at 11 a.m. you have a class, then you're going back. If you're going kind of back and forth, that can be that can be difficult and from a program design too, if you're not, if you're not able to, you know, if you're, if you're moving program designs from fitness enthusiast to games athlete, just switching mindsets too. I think one of the things I pulled out, Jason, of what you just said was like, 
maybe loosening your grip a little bit. So when you're coaching that games athlete, the grip is tight. You're really focused on them. Not that you're not focused otherwise, but you're looking into other things like, you know, sleep is really important. Their recovery, all that stuff really bodes into their lifestyle. Then when you coach a class, these people have kids, they have full-time jobs, they have all these other things going. So maybe your grip just loosens up a little bit. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. It's like, if someone's late for class, like, I don't fucking hound them. I don't care. Like, because why? Because I'm late for shit that I show up to because, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, get my kids on the bus or my wife calls me at the last minute. It's like, this situation happens, you know? So loosening the grip, understanding your environment and understanding the people who, who are there for you. Awesome. That's great, man. Last question as we close down, we talk about being the professional coach. Somebody's listening right now. They're in the car. They're like, man, I like this Jason guy. I want to become a professional coach. I want to become more professional. What do you think is one thing that they could do today to become more professional? Wow. I wish I looked at this question firsthand. <laughs> um, one thing they could do today to become more professional I'm going to say outline what their definition of being a professional is nice, mm -hmm. and then hold themselves accountable to that. Perfect. Awesome. Jason, thanks for taking the time, man. That was a lot of fun. A lot of really good information there for coaches. Uh, if somebody wants to kind of follow you and see what you're up to, I uh, just want to give you the floor to kind of promote your stuff. For sure. Thanks, man. So Instagram is Jason Lydon. Uh, the training platform that we use for mentorships and work with athletes is conquerathlete.com. My brick and mortar gym is Cross on Milford, which has its own Instagram and Facebook as well. That's in Milford, Connecticut. Anybody's on the way, but that's mostly it, man. Conquer Athlete and, and Jason Lydon were people who don't live in Milford, Connecticut. Gotta get all my stuff from. Perfect. And the podcast. Podcast is good, man. That, oh, podcast as well. Yep. Conquer Athlete podcast. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. I uh, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was fun to catch up and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. Guys, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave us a five-star rating review and post on your Instagram. Jason, I would love to hear what you got out of this episode and take care. We'll see you next week for another episode of the My Fit Podcast. Have a great week. Bye.